On this episode about trauma-informed biographical timelines, you'll hear from Rachel. Rachel shares her thoughts on asking the question, what happened to you, instead of what's wrong with you, when supporting someone along their healing journey. She also talks about how revealing a different lens for what help looks like along a person's journey is one of the most important takeaways from a timeline. My name is Rachel Sorg, and I work as a wraparound coordinator for Claremont County. And I think one of the greatest things about the work I do is getting to hear family stories. I really enjoy the fact that families trust me enough to share their story with me. So what is the purpose then of bringing trauma into a person's plan? I think it matters because systems and people who are trying to be helpful can be very accusatory towards an individual or towards a family. And they don't take enough time. If we're not careful, we don't take enough time to ask the question, what has happened to you? And and we always say, what's wrong with you? So what is nice about this particular way of looking at an individual's history, an individual's story, a family's story, is that it helps bridge the gap, I feel like, between the professionals who want to be professionals and they want the scientific, the mental health way to look at things, but then also everybody else in the room who really doesn't give a crap about that stuff and just wants to wants to do something. And so I think it's really important to help people understand that it doesn't matter necessarily what the event was. I mean, when you look at the science behind trauma and how trauma affects the body and how trauma affects the brain and how trauma perfects the development. The event, no matter what it was, has caused what can appear to be delays, that release of cortisol just shooting through a person's body. And and that can be different from me and that can be different from you. So sometimes taking off the professional hat means you have to hear a person's story. You do. You have to hear a person's story in depth. Beyond beyond their case file. Absolutely. Beyond their case file and, and in this setting. And I think it's very nice for professionals in particular to be able to start to make those connections, to have have somebody say this this behavior and I lose use that term loosely that you're seeing today is likely related to this event that happened back here and both because what that event has caused from a medical scientific standpoint but then also how that event shaped that person's outlook on life mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. so you get both of those together at the same time and I think that's very very nice because some people really, just with who they are, they really need those scientific explanations, and then other people really need that human perspective as well, too. And the science, you mean, is more of like the brain... The the brain brain development, you know, what stress does to the body, what cortisol does to the body, you know, the ACEs study. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a trauma-informed biographical timeline and somebody does the hand-brain explanation to understand how people process things, and people need to know that why, as well as understanding the context of the why around it. And so the the biographical timeline allows you to get both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I think particularly with system partners and with professionals, it allows for greater buy. It it seems like too, the the science part of it, and is it Dr. Siegel's hand brain? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. This uh, evidence, this research-based evidence of people's responses not necessarily being completely in their control but Mm -hmm. part of the plan is in these timelines Mm -hmm. is what are the approaches we can Mm -hmm. build into a person Mm -hmm. in order for them to have greater regulation absolutely greater regulation greater in a sense in a lot of sense almost 
I fully believe when we do when we do strategies and interventions that are helpful and help build resiliency, we're actually rewiring the brain. I mean, there's so much data around that right now and about how the brain can be remolded and can be rewired. So eventually people don't necessarily have the same response to a stressful situation that they had before. And they're, they naturally, without thinking, go towards that response you want them to have versus the response they had to a situation beforehand. So how do you help people prepare to tell Mm -hmm. their story? And then how do you help others prepare who are going to be in the room? Mm -hmm. And then what's the follow-up to that? I think there's a lot of prep work that goes into it. The trauma-informed timelines that I think have been most successful are the ones where I see the facilitator, the person leading the timeline, putting lots of work and prepping families and prepping the other people in the room. And what I mean by that is sitting down and having a conversation with the family about what is this going to look like? Who do you want to be in that room? Do you even want to be in that room? I've been in both where it's there's trauma timelines where the family or the or the identified person, particularly if they're older, is in the room. And then there's other times when they're not in the room because people have just said, I don't feel comfortable with that. So I think that's really important first and foremost is working with the family to develop something that they're comfortable with. Um, I've seen instances where the family has shared some instance, some information with the person who's gonna lead the meeting up front. And so they almost have like a partially started trauma-informed timeline. So the family doesn't feel like they have to hash it all out beforehand. And so I think that's, that's what you have to start with first is finding out what's gonna be the most comfortable for a family if you're going to do this, particularly if you're working with younger kids and their caregivers, whether that be an adoptive parent or a biological parent or a grandparent, because if we're not careful unintentionally as they go through and they start explaining those events, it can start feeling like, oh my gosh, I caused this. And so we have to really, really guard against that. So figuring out what helps them feel the most comfortable and be the most comfortable with sharing that information and not putting it anything in a shame and blame perspective. So helping a family understand that I think is the first and foremost thing. But then the flip side of that is going to helping all the other people in the room really understand what this is about. So this is not an opportunity for children's services to come in and develop a case to use in court. (laughs) This is not an opportunity for a probation officer to find more information to put in their case records. And that's the shame and blame. It it is the shame and blame. I mean, we're asking families, particularly when you're doing this and a family is, is involved, if you are not careful, this, and I've been guilty of it before when I first started doing them, of not doing it right and not really taking time to guard um, against that, and it, it can quickly turn that way. And it's the little things. It's it's the way people look at certain situations and stuff, and side comments and stuff like that. It's I can you expand on that? Can well, you expand on when you didn't do it right? And so I didn't do it right because I didn't put the legwork in beforehand. And so what happened was, as we went through the process and we got later and later and later, the mother had a look on her face and basically said it in the room where she just is like, this is all my fault and, and I can tell because you guys have it all written all over your faces. And that wasn't anything intentional, but that was a lot due to my lack of prep with that parent 
um, to really talking about what this was going to look like. She clearly did not have a good enough understanding. And that goes back to me as the person who was leading that process. I should have gone in there and done more prep with it, but then also not the other people in the room. Like, what is this about? What are we actually trying to do? And this is about helping everybody have a mutual understanding moving forward to get us all on the same page. And, and nobody wants to feel like they didn't protect their child. Absolutely. Nobody wants to enough, feel. Nobody they... wants to feel. And when you're dealing with families who have intergenerational trauma or who are currently living in trauma, that's when you really have to work to kind of guard against that. For the most part, families who are living in continual current trauma or intergenerational trauma, they don't look at it as trauma. They just look at it as their life, and this is the way we live. And as they grow and feeling safe with us and being around safe people who they honestly feel like are not going to judge them and get why they're doing the things that they're doing to try to get needs met for their family and all those different types of things, then later that light bulb moment comes on for them. That And it takes a lot more time. One of those things you're saying is, is having safe safe adults safe absolutely, people, absolutely and safe experiences mm-hmm. so that then they can start to say oh wait a minute this mm-hmm. isn't actually how life is mm-hmm. or has to be yeah or yeah we um, can do we can do something different i think if they're done well everybody can walk out of a biogra- trauma-informed biographical timeline being able to do their job a little bit better and a little bit differently so last question here what do you think is the best outcome from these Oh, the best outcome is people making a commitment to do something different. At the end of the day, the education you get from it, this, the everybody being on the same page and everybody having the same story is wonderful, but it's all in vain. If, you, if people aren't leaving that room truly committed to do something different to help a family, because that's really what this is trying to push you to. It's trying to push you that our typical ways of being helpful may not be enough. So let's take a moment to look at what help could mean from this different lens of trauma. And this different lens of trauma may lead us to a different idea of what help could be. And there's many different lenses you can look at to try to be helpful. And and so this approach just asks you to take a moment to look at what help could mean through the lens of trauma. then hopefully people walk out of the room with a commitment to do something a little bit different through that lens. And that's, to me, that's the, that's the magic in it. To learn more about the Resilience Project, head over to the show notes.